0: Welcome to the Venice Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Venice Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. It has been an incredible start to this year for us. I know it hasn't been without its challenges. I know we've been dealing with winter weather and still dealing with sickness and all that kind of stuff, but man, I hope you see the hand of God moving in your life. Come on, somebody, because it's there, it's there, and when we started this year, I didn't know how much, y'all look at me, I didn't know how much I needed this series, and I don't know if you know this, but your preacher needs the sermons he's preaching as much as anybody in the room, come on. like These things are pushing me. That we decided that as we stepped from 2021 into 2022, that we were gonna make a very conscious and intentional decision. That if you are stuck, it's time to get unstuck, come on. That I know the last couple of years have given us a lot of good reasons, maybe even some excuses to stay stuck, to get settled. That we all have been working against circumstances and situations that seemed so often out of our control, difficult to navigate, and felt paralyzing at moments. Say amen if you've felt that in the last couple years. Come on. There's more than seven of y'all that felt that. A bunch of liars in the room. Listen, we in church, come on. Like, we've all felt that. We've been, we've, we've, but I don't want to be caged in complacency anymore. I don't want to settle for a spiritual rut. You know why? Because I believe God has more. I believe God wants more for me, for my family, for our church. I believe God is calling us forward. That God is always trying to take his people from where they are to where he wants them to be. That this is the year that that I want you to make progress. And whatever that progress might look for you. And for some people, maybe, maybe you need to make the most progressive step you will ever take. And that's the step from death to life. Because if you're sitting in this room or if you're watching online and you don't know Jesus, you don't know life because there is no real life outside of him. Because if you don't know him and you've never met him and never trusted in what he's done, you are separated from the God who made you, the one who formed you, the one that gives you purpose and life, you are a sinner in need of a savior and you cannot do anything about it in and of yourself. That sin that separates you can only be settled by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I'll be glad when the church gets excited about the gospel again one day. You hear me? Like Jesus is the one who gives you life, who separates you from your sin so that you can be connected back to God. And when you look on him, see that sin, repent and choose life. And maybe that's the step you need to take. You need to go from death to life. Or I don't know, maybe this forward series that we've been is calling you forward beyond just settling at that starting line of salvation and going into deeper levels of surrender and commitment to him where you're beginning to lay down everything that is part of your life under his authority and control. I don't know, maybe it's some other place of life. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a career thing and you've settled for where you wanna be and God's saying, you know what, step forward. Maybe it's a relational thing. There's some couples in the room that you've settled for something less than in your marriage than God wants because marriage is a beautiful God-ordained thing that when done his way produces beauty in your life of both the husband and the wife. I don't know what area that is, but this is what I know. God's calling you forward. And the verse that really sparked this series for me is Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. And the version in which I read it and what it says at the very end was kind of the, the spark that lit this whole forward concept in my own heart. We've read it every single week in this series. Go with me again, Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. And I, th- I think this is the, the English standard version, the ESV. I love how it translates these Greek words. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. I love that part. That we would walk in them. But this is your purpose, is the process, and are you making progress? Like are you walking in it? It's time for some of us to get up and walk. We let life knock us down the last couple of years. And Jesus is looking at us like he looked at that lame man by the pool of says and said, You want to walk because I can help get up and walk. And so in order to move forward, we've leaned into this beautiful Old Testament story of the nation of Israel. That yes, from its, micro, from its macro level, from the 30,000 foot view of scripture, it's, it's about Jesus. Look at all the Bible's about Jesus. That Sunday school answer works. What's the Bible about? Jesus. Because you ain't wrong. That is the truth. It is about God picking a people group, the nation that he would build from the descendants of Abraham so that he could bring the Messiah into the world. But there's a reason why God, when he gave us this book, gave us all this detail. Because there's beauty in it. There's lessons to be learned from it. And I think as we're watching God move his people from Egypt, where they were, toward the promised land where he wants them to be, that there's eternal truths about God, how God moves us. There are eternal truths about how we make progress. There are lessons to be learned from how and what they experience as the nation of Israel goes from 400 years, 400 plus years of stuck and starts moving forward. And so we've been leaning into these lessons and and watching as Moses is used by God to be this catalyst for growth, for progress, And one of the things that we, that we learned from the onset, from the moment that they left Egypt and started heading to the promised land is if you're going to advance, you must anticipate adversity. That's just part of it. If you're going to move forward, it's, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be forward and always fun. And progress is often painful. I said that from the start. And the reason why we're embracing this reality is because so often the reason why we get stuck is because it gets hard. We settled in a place where it got difficult. Come on. It got too difficult to have those hard conversations in our marriage, so we just avoided them. It got too difficult to lay everything down to Jesus because I don't like what he wants me to do with some of the stuff I have. I just got up in somebody's business right there, didn't I? Like, I get it. And what we're watching is what God does in order to help us move past adversity. And we've been watching the nation of Israel and we can learn lessons from how they respond to adversity, lessons that we can apply to our own lives when when we advance, we experience adversity. But what I've noticed is there is a pattern that I see in the nation of Israel of how they respond to difficulty that far too often I see in my life and I'm sorry, I see it in yours too. Go with me to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. Let's start with verse 1. And like, all right, hold on, let me set the scene. Remember, they, they left Egypt. God takes them on this really weird, like map quest on crack way to. What did I just say? <laughs> That's a great analogy, though, isn't it? I really just said map quest on crack. <laughs> if this is your first time, I'm sorry please come back. So this weird, this weird path that nobody would have planned, because that's what God does. He doesn't take the route. He doesn't guide us down the road that we would often pick. And they've left Egypt and they found themselves on the banks of the Red Shore. And then the Egyptian army came after them and God parted the waters and he went through. And then they're in the desert and they're hungry and God provides manna and all this kind of stuff. Then they move on to this next stage of their journey in Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. It says, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said, who am I, Adam Sandler? I'm not the water boy. I mean, and, and Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? Do you notice that pattern? Here we are, we see several instances where, again, in advancing toward where God wants them to be, they bump up against adversity. And multiple times, their, their, their default to difficulty is to complain and blame and, and if I'm honest, I'm thinking, how many times are we gonna do this? Every, you would think by this point in their journey, they would think, look, God showed up several times. Every time we've needed Him, He's come through. Every time when, when we needed manna, He rained it down. When we were on the banks of the Red Sea, He parted the waters. When the Egyptian army was chasing after us, He drowned them in that same sea. Like you would think they'd say, I ain't worried. I've seen what God can do. But before you judge them, see yourself in them. Because we do the same thing, don't we? We have all seen God work in our lives. But I guarantee you, for most of us, the next time we run up against something hard, we go, God, why? Why do you do this? Why do I have to do this again? And when I read this again, it made me examine what is my default response to difficult things in my life? Theirs is to complain and blame. What's your worst? And you know what's very interesting? When things are going good, we ignore God. But when things go bad, we cry out to him like little kids. It's interesting. But what is your default to difficulty? I'll go first. Mine is to worry. Y'all know this. If y'all have been around Vintage for a hot second, y'all, you've heard me say this for a long time. I am a worrier. I'm that person that... When I wake up and I don't have something to worry about, I'm worried that I can't figure out what I'm supposed to be worried about. Come on, somebody can relate? It's like, oh my gosh, I'm not worried about anything. What, I'm supposed to be worried about something. And I, and I even justify it, like I'm an adult, I'm a man, I have kids, I have a church to lead. Like there's gotta be something for me to freak out about right now. And I'm freaking out that I don't have anything to freak out about. What's your default? Maybe, you're, like, my wife is the opposite. I mean, I could tell Ashley, we won the lottery today. She'd be like, Cool. I could tell Ashley the house burned down. She'd be like, "Cool." (laughs) Just how she is. She's steady. But what's your what's your default response to difficulty? Because it matters. Because listen, how you respond to it will shape how you go through it. And I don't know why I worry. It drives me crazy. But that's my default. Because number one, I've seen God's hand in my life. I've seen him work. He has earned my trust. (laughs) Not that he had to or should or whatever. I'm not saying that he had to earn my trust, but he has. I can look over my life and see moments that were only of and from him. So I don't know why when I bump up against something, I don't remember. I've seen God come through. I don't need to worry about this. And more importantly, I don't know why, I just don't trust the words of Jesus himself. Matthew chapter six, verse 25. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, do not worry about your life. That's about as direct as it can be, huh? Do not worry about your life. And listen to the familiarity with the nation of Israel, what you will eat or drink, or about your body what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body not more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or stow away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you, are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus, don't, like, don't worry. I, I wanna get in my life to where my default response to difficulty is not worry and panic. Because it it never serves me well. Can somebody testify? It never serves me well. I can't tell you a single, I cannot find a single time where worrying about anything actually helped. And I'm not saying don't do your part. I'm not saying don't use your brain. I'm just saying worry doesn't help. What if those of us like me, instead of being the people that react with worry and panic, what if our default the difficulty was to trust and to pray? That'd be a great exchange. Instead of when adversity comes and difficulty hits, instead of worry and panic, I would consciously make the decision because I know who God is and I know what his word says that I will not worry and panic, I will trust and I will pray. That's why in James chapter five, verse 13, sometimes the Bible's super clear. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Pray. I've confessed many times that of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is the one I struggle with the most. But you're the preacher. Again, welcome to Venice Church. I say quest crack. I, it's, Because, and I think those of us who are super wired to be productive, sometimes we don't value prayer the way that we should, because we want to do. We want to take action. We want to fix. We want to put our hands in it. And then what we do is we take charge and we mess it up worse. And then we really got a reason to worry. But what if you said, you know what? No, my, my, my default, don't, don't worry and panic. Trust and Pray. And it doesn't mean that God in that prayer isn't gonna reveal to you things that you need to do. Decisions you have to make. But prayer has a way, not of necessarily fixing the problem, but giving you perspective and peace and calm. Prayer has a way of doing so many things. Prayer has a way of not necessarily giving you answers but creating intimacy with God that helps you stay in his presence and navigate those difficult things. Y'all with me, come on. Pray. And the reason why is this important is because the adversity, the adversity is never gonna stop. Because on the other side of this water issue again, once again they're gonna find themselves in a difficult situation. God's gonna provide like he does. They pray, Moses gives God, I mean, God gives Moses direction. He hits the rock, water comes out of the rock. It's, 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 it's amazing things. But what happens next is something that, that we also need to be aware of. That so often adversity comes in the form of an unexpected adversary. Y'all with me? That sometimes adversity comes in the form of an unexpected adversary adversary. See, up to this point, the nation of Israel has had to do very little to move forward, but just keep walking and trust God. But that is all about to change. That now this is not, the next thing is not just an, a, an obstacle they're going to have to overcome. It is an adversary that they're going to be forced to engage if they're going to move forward. Y'all with me? Say amen. Because sometimes, <laughs> The greatest threat, look at me. Sometimes the greatest threat to your progress is people. That should have got an amen from the whole congregation. Some, maybe more often than not, the greatest threat to your progress is people. Sometimes you're like, man, life would be awesome if there was no people in it. <laughs> y'all laugh because y'all like <laughs> that's me. I tweeted that last week. <laughs> See, adversity often comes in the form of an unexpected adversary. And up until this point, they've been able to sit back. But now, look at me, for them to go forward, they're going to have to fight. What's about to happen next is if they're going to go forward, they're going to have to fight. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8, says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand up on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought the fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. This as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. That I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and he called it the name called the name of it. The Lord is my banner, saying, "A hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation." See, up until this point, they've had to do very little in order to keep moving forward. When they when when they defeated. The Egypt, they didn't have to throw a single hand. But sometimes if you're going to move forward, you got to be ready to throw hands. Now, wait a minute. Not exactly like you think, but you're going to have to be willing to fight. You're going to have to be willing to engage. You're going to have to be willing to understand that you have an adversary and an enemy that you're going to have to go to war with. And in this moment, he These people faced this this Amalek army. And remember, the nation of Israel had been slaves for 450 years. They weren't warriors. These people, these Amalek people, they were basically like land pirates. This is what they did. They were nomadic, and they went around, and they pillaged, and they stole what they could. And so they're about to go to war. And when I read this, it was just a stark reminder for me that there will be people who want to impede your progress. That there will be people who want to impede your progress. And am I saying sock them in the face? That is not what I'm saying necessarily. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is understanding, look at me. And you, I'm, I know I'm not telling you anything new. There will be people that wish to impede your progress. Sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally. There will be people who are offended and jealous by your progress, so much so that they'll become your critic and try to tell you that what you're doing is silly, that to go to church every Sunday is weird, that to carve out time to read your Bible makes no sense, to make fun of you for actually financially giving to a church, to tell you that your God isn't as real as you believe him to be. There will be people that seek to impede your progress. And it's usually because they're not making any of their own. And they want to stand in the way. And you're going to have to know how to engage that adversary if you're going to move forward. And no, I'm not saying that it should involve a physical conversation, but it does require some very intentional, look at me, some very intentional action. Because there are people that sit in this room every single weekend and they go into a home that they live under every single day that is full of people that don't support their faith. For years, we've had students that come to our student ministry and they go home and their parents counteract everything we try to teach them. You, live in an, you work in an office eight hours a day with people who don't believe like you, who believe so contrary to you that they're trying to force those things on you and get you to step back from your faith. And you need to know how to engage that in a way that's healthy, graceful, and helpful. That this, that yes, in in, in the story, they're engaging in a war, but essentially this is a people group that wants to impede the progress that they're trying to make. And you will constantly find yourself having to engage those people as well. I've discovered in my life, I often have more critics than I have cheerleaders. And I'm not the only one. And that's why I love when I'm going through those seasons where it feels like all the noise is around me and all the judgment or all the criticism. All the, I'm reminded that, man, I, the people that brought us Scripture are not strangers to this either. You ever read Psalms and read David's journal? Like Psalm 41, look at it with me, Psalm 41. David says, my enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? When one of them comes to see me, he speaks falsely while his heart gathers slander. Then he goes out and spreads it around. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying a vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, who, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. Have you ever been in that season where adversity comes in the form of an unexpected adversary, where a person or people are the problem to your progress and you have to figure out how to navigate it? And now I know what you're like, Matt, how do I navigate it? I don't know. Because it's very situational and circumstantial. You can't, it's hard to avoid the people that live under your roof. I don't recommend you try to get somebody fired, but understanding that you need to guard, and this is not judgment on their behavior and their beliefs, this is about the protection of your heart. That you have to build some boundaries to protect your progress. You have to make some hard decisions. And we're living in a culture that's gonna get increasingly harder and harder to follow Jesus in. I have weird conversations with people all the time right now. It's like, Matt, do you think we're living in the end times? Sure. I believe we're as close as ever to Jesus coming back. Duh. Be closer tomorrow than we were today. Yes, that's true. Good news is He wins. He wins. That's my sermon on. on I preached my sermon on Revelation. He wins. but I want you to, I want you to remember what Paul said to Timothy. Paul mentored Timothy, this young pastor, and in 2 Timothy chapter three, starting with verse one, says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, And I know the tension that we feel even in those verses as believers because we feel that responsibility and call to evangelize and to tell people about Jesus, but you have to know that balance of tension of how to guard your heart and navigate those people who seek to derail the progress you're making with God. Are y'all with me? Say amen. You gotta you got guard your heart it, and in the end, you have to remember that it, the true fight is not that adversary. It's the one true enemy. Because church, we have an enemy. We have an enemy. His name is the devil, Satan. He is very real. And one of the things that we're gonna need to do as a church is to be sure that we don't convince people or try to steer away from the reality that the devil and hell are very, very real. They are not concepts, they are not constructs, they they are real, real things. We have an enemy. There is an enemy who wants to keep you from the promise. The devil is very very real. And he hates you. And he is working overtime every day to convince you to give up. Look at what first Peter says. First Peter chapter 5 verse 8, "Be alert And of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That we can't get so busy focusing on the people in our lives that are frustrating and seek to impede our progress that we forget we have an enemy that wants to do things that they cannot do, (laughs) that's coming after us, that wants to derail our faith. And to win the war against him, you've got to understand the weapons he has and the ones you have. Part of defeating any enemy is knowing their tactics. And the devil, look at me, the devil only has one. It's the same old tired game that Joker's been playing since the garden. He is a liar. And that's all the things he has in his arsenal is to convince, he wants to convince you that truth is a lie and that a lie is truth you can eat that. God's not going to care. Oh, surely you won't die. He really is just worried that you're going to be like God. He is a liar. And Jesus made it very clear that that was his native tongue and would be the weapon of choice from your enemy throughout time. Look at John chapter eight, start with verse 44. It says, you belong to your father, the devil, And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. That's what he does. So he weaves deceit into culture. And so culture starts buying into things that aren't true, which is why we have been so intentionally trying to get us to make this a regular part of our lives. Because the way that you combat the enemy's lies is with God's truth, not your ideas. This is the truth that combats the lie. This is the weapon we use to go at him. This is the hand we throw when he comes to counteract the things that he says, the things that he whispers in our lives. This is the truth, and the truth will set you free. And you're in a fight that you can win. You know that, right? I know the adversaries are many, and I know the enemy is formidable, but I want to remind you that God has made it very clear in his word that we don't have to fall victim to his schemes, and he does not have the power to overcome us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind and God is faithful He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it God says I the look at me your advocate is greater than your enemy Come on somebody your advocate is greater than your enemy. The devil and God are equally real, but they are not equally powerful. They aren't. Sometimes we think about God and the devil like a Rocky movie, like Rocky and Apollo and ones will kind of win it. That's not what it's like. That's not how it goes. The enemy is not on God's level. He can't even stay in the same ring with your God. Come on. And God said, I've given you everything you need so that when you engage in this fight, you have all you need to win. Go with me to Ephesians chapter six. Verse 10. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you take your stand against the devil's schemes. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and pray. <laughs> And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Do you notice where he finishes? He says, all right, you're in, a, you're in a fight, but you need to know. You've got all the tools you need to win. So put them on. Like they're there, but you, you got to put them on. Right? Like you got to put them on. They're just, they're, not, they're just sitting there, you gotta put them on. You gotta put on the helmet and all and of that he includes shoes. You gotta put your sneakers on, you gotta, you gotta put them on. You gotta do it all. Then he says pray. Because see if you go back to the story of Moses and the Israelites fighting against Amalek, what won the battle were not the swords in the valley, they were the prayers up on the hill. They were not the swords in the valley that gave them the ability to win. It was the prayers up on the hill. That your greatest weapon in this fight is your intimacy with God that's given to you through the vehicle of prayer. You gotta fight your way forward. If you're gonna move forward, you gotta fight and you can't win a war that you won't admit you're in. You can't defeat an enemy that you refuse to acknowledge. But this is what I know. Some of y'all are like, I know it's a fight, Matt, and I've been fighting, and I'm tired. I'm weary. Because war will make you weary, won't it? You say, Matt, I've been fighting for so long, and I just don't know that I can fight anymore. Can I remind you? The way you defeat the enemy is in the context of real community, and that's why you have the church. I think about that moment where it says, Moses is standing up there and he's got his arms and, he, and he's praying and he's calling out to God and he's watching this thing fight but he starts to grow tired because hours were passing and hours are passing and his friends come up. They see it and I wonder if Aaron and her are watching and are like, he's going to go down. He's growing weary and they grab a stone and they bring it out and they sit it down and they sit him down on it and then those two brothers get on each side. One holds up his left arm and one holds up his right arm and they, and, he, and that whole time they they stand together. You're surrounded by people who want to stand with you. I know you're weary, but the way you win is you keep fighting and knowing that you're not fighting alone. Hebrews 10, verse 23 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Like, let's do this together. Let's keep fighting together so that when we're done, we can say what Paul said. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You keep fighting. Stand with me we're going to worship before we get out of here because it's a powerful weapon too amen and i want to talk to the people that are in the war and today you walked in weary wondering how long you can keep fighting maybe you just need to come and pray maybe you need to pull a friend gather some family and just come turn this into an altar kneel on this concrete and just ask god to give you the strength to keep fighting and take advantage of the weapons he's given you to lean into them and keep fighting. That, yeah, your enemy's sending temptation. Maybe this week's been that week and it's been temptation at every corner. And just by the skin of your teeth, you made it by, or maybe you failed. Just because you lost a battle, look at me, doesn't mean the war is over. So, Lord, I pray that as we worship you right now, that God, we would no longer be driven by fear, but we would have the courage to fight, to look. And our lives and acknowledge the adversaries. Maybe those people that are there, and maybe they're well-intended or maybe they're not. And God, we know that there are people that you died for as well, but Lord, help us to have the wisdom and discernment and grace to set the boundaries and things necessary in order to deal with those relationships in a way that don't stand in the way of our progress and who you've called us to be. And God, we thank you for the reminder that we cannot let our guard down because we have an enemy that's waiting in the weeds to pounce on us any opportunity. And God, give us the strength to lean into the weapons, to take up the weapons that you have given us. And Lord, for those who were weary from the war in this room today, I pray that you would use this time of worship to infuse in us the strength to keep fighting, to keep moving forward, to keep stepping into that next place, no matter how fearful or scary it might be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Vintage Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at vintagechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Vintage Church app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.